Well, as we were enjoying that lovely, lilty music, and we were singing about God's amazing grace, and at the end, did you notice how she repeated, praise God, praise God, and I just thought about how easy it is just to be almost put asleep with that kind of lilt and the rhythm of that, and I just felt like, I felt like in my spirit, I needed to say to you now, shake up, waking up. And um, when I came in this morning, you were all still out having your coffee, and I came in here, and William uh, had the flag up, and uh, he was walking up and down, and he was actually very animated, uh, which he doesn't always, and he was putting out his hand and, and pulling me up, waving me to come up to him. And when I came up, he put his arm around me, which he doesn't always do here on a Tuesday morning, put his arm around me, and in a very sort of definite way, took the flag and pointed the flag right at that door where you all come in. And he just pointed it at the door. And yesterday, I was reminded of yesterday, I spent a bit of while yesterday morning, a bit of time, reading through the whole story of Joseph. And there's one bit at the end where uh, whenever Jacob is coming back to Joseph and he realises that God has been good and that and on the way back it says that as they came near to Egypt, it says that, that Jacob told Judah, Judah means praise, to go and point the way. And it just reminded me that praise points the way. If you have a, pray, a heart that's full of praise and thankfulness to God, you're pointing, that's what points the way for God to take you forward. And as William pointed that flag, which of course is praise to God, as he pointed it, honestly he's never done that before in all the 12 years that I've been here in Egypt. He took that flag and he pointed it right at the door. And one thing we've prayed over William is that he would do prophetic acts. He can't speak to an audience but he can do things that God can use and that's been our prayer over him for many years and I believe this morning that there's something in that for you that you might praise and our title this morning is that you are a blessed woman not the person beside you but you are a blessed woman if you know Jesus if you have asked Jesus to be your saviour and to come into your life let me tell you this morning you are a blessed woman You have all the Godhead within you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are a blessed woman. I was up at Donegal at the weekend doing a breakfast on Saturday morning and quite a few people came to get prayed for afterwards and there was a lady there who was asking us to pray that God would help her. And I just felt prompted to ask her, well, you know, you're asking God to help you but have you ever actually asked him to come in and be your saviour? And she said, you know, I don't actually actually remember ever doing that. And you know, it was amazing just to say to her, but he came to be your saviour. That's why he came, to be the saviour of the world, to be your saviour. And all you've got to do is to receive him, to ask him to come in and be your saviour. And and then you will have the Holy Spirit in you who will help you. And she said, you know, I just do that now. And she just asked God, ask Jesus to be your saviour. As simple as that. And if you've done that, and if you know Jesus in your heart, you've asked him to be your saviour, you're totally blessed because you've got the Holy Spirit in you. Because God's a good God. And, and, and through inviting him to be your saviour, you're brought right into the family of God. So let's look at, um, at Luke chapter 11. And we're going to try and whiz through this chapter. My goal is that between now and the beginning of June, we're going to cover the, whole, the rest of all of Luke's gospel. Already with me on that, so it might mean taking you know quite long, big chunks 
but we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to really take them and, and beat them into small portions that you can eat and receive and be nourished from and encouraged and built up and we'll get through this uh, book of Luke before we leave in June. So let's just read the first four verses of chapter 11. Now it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place when he ceased when he ceased praying that one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So Jesus said to them when you pray Say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, Jesus, um, Jesus was with his disciples and obviously they had heard him praying and they wanted to pray like him because they realized that when Jesus prayed things happened when Jesus prayed there was it made a difference and that's why they wanted him to pray with them and did you notice that he started off praying with the words our father <coughs> now i think this is a really important thing for us to say at the outset when you invite Jesus into your heart you receive forgiveness of sins you're washed clean in the blood of Jesus. He paid the price for you. You're just inviting him to come in. You're receiving his free gift of salvation. And from that moment on, you have the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, you're brought back, you're, you're brought back into the family of God. Because of sin that entered the world, we were estranged. God cannot have partnership with, with, with sin. But because, the moment you receive Jesus as Savior, you come into the family. And God becomes your father. That's why we can say, Our Father. And, and I just want to really say this to you really strong this morning. You're not a spiritual orphan. You're a daughter of God Most High. You are not a spiritual orphan. In fact, Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit. You can read it in John chapter 14, verse, starting at verse uh, 16. He said, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper the spirit of truth, I will not leave you orphans, Jesus said. You're not an orphan. You're a daughter of the Lord Most High. What is an orphan? We haven't time to go into the orphan spirit, but you see, the enemy would like you to think of yourself as an orphan. You're not an orphan. You're the king's daughter. What is a spiritual orphan? Just a few things. Well, that orphan spirit that the enemy would try to put into you and try to hold on to you and stop you from entering into your true child or daughterhood, that one of, a few of the things that, 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 that kind of typify that orphan spirit is that the orphan spirit operates out of insecurity and jealousy. And I think very often, because really the orphan spirits are old nature. It's the old nature that all of us have. When we are born again into the family of God, we get the Holy Spirit, we get a new nature. But the old nature, the old orphan nature, is still there and still wants to put us back into insecurities and jealousies. Whereas this new nature functions out of the fact that we are loved by God and we're accepted and we're daughters. And he loves us. The orphan spirit is jealous of the success of others. If someone else 
is doing well, it's like they feel they're not doing well. There's this comparison between what other people do. The orphan spirit is thinking, if I could just be like him, instead of realizing that God has made them to be them. The orphan spirit will cripple us. And if we go back into those old thoughts and, and think like a spiritual orphan, we are going to miss out on the joy of our salvation. The orphan spirit serves God in order to earn God's love. For us, the one who knows that they're not an orphan knows that we can never earn his love. We don't have to try and earn his love. He loves us because he loves us and we receive his love. And we're not trying to, to, to somehow behave in such a way that he might love us more because we know that he loves us even as we are. The orphan spirit tries to, um, tries to medicate the deep feelings of of not being good enough, the deep feelings of, of, of striving and having to even be like other people, that need to have comfort and, and using other things to medicate, like alcohol or, or other kind of stimulations, you know, having to buy clothes to feel good or whatever it might be, something else rather than being able to receive the true comfort that our Father wants to give us, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so these are all things that the orphan spirit's driven by the need to, to be successful. The orphan spirit can't take authority. Feels that if anybody tries to um, discipline them or correct them, that that somehow is seen as being, um, that they don't like them or that it's a, it's a negative thing. Whereas the true son or daughter of God knows that if God, or, if God is using someone else to correct us, that that's a gift. Because discipline and correction is part of God's love for us. The orphan doesn't see that. The orphan sees anything at all that looks like it might you know, be corrective as being critical and, and becomes all fearful and, and thinks that they're against them. Whereas God said, no, I, I want to correct you because I love you because you're my daughter and I want you to grow. How do your children grow? They grow by your loving correction. By, by how we teach them. And so the difference between the orphan spirit and the, the uh, Holy Spirit uh, and the, 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 the sonship or the daughtership, orphan spirits always in com competition with other people. Always feels they have to do better or have to do at least as good as somebody else. The one who really knows that God is your father, you know what? You know that he loves you and made you to be different. You know he made you just to be the way you are. You don't have to compete or be like anybody else. He wants you to be just you. The orphan spirit lacks self-esteem. Orphan spirit um, is always trying to find true identity. Not understanding that when they came to Jesus by faith and received salvation, that they were born into a family and become part of the family of God. And their identity is in Christ. And they are a child of God. What a wonderful gift. We do not have to live like spiritual orphans. We have a good, good father. And Luke 11, verse 13. I love this verse, and I kind of put, popped it in in the very beginning here. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you know the greatest gift that, the, that God your father has given you is the gift of the Holy Spirit? That's why Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. And when you receive 
Jesus, you receive his Holy Spirit, and he is the one who can give you all that you need. It's the Holy Spirit that we need to do all things. Our, our, very often our thought of God as our Father is kind of, is kind of coloured by our experience of an earthly father. And sometimes I've come across a lot of people who have not had a good experience of an earthly father. And you know, it's very easy to allow that to influence the way you think about your heavenly father. But you've got to know this, that your heavenly father is the only perfect father. All, all of us, some of us have had good fathers and others have maybe fathers who weren't so good. Maybe some of you have even had fathers who were abusive or neglectful in some way. But you know this, all of our fathers, none of them are perfect. The only perfect father is God. And he loves you perfectly. And perfect love casts out fear. We were remembering that in the prayer room this morning. So you're blessed because you have a good father. And you have a good father who wants you to pray to him and say, our father. He wants you to come into the fellowship of all the, the believers, all his children. You see, every believer across this planet, doesn't matter what denomination you go to, if you've invited Jesus to be your saviour, you're part of his body, you're part of the family of God, regardless of what church you belong to. And he wants to get all of his children to say, Our Father, to come into agreement and say, Our Father. And as we do that, he's calling us to come and pray to him and to bring our needs to him. Our Father. This is what we are to call him. And he is the God who's the perfect father who wants to give good gifts to his children. And one of the things that he wants us to do, and we were remembering this in the prayer room this morning, is that this great God who created the universe, who spoke and it was done, this great God who is now your father through salvation, he actually says to you, now I want you to come boldly to the throne of grace. My throne, that's where everything's controlled. My throne, that's where I sit. That's where I sit and rule the universe. And everything's held by my hand. And he said, that's where I want you to come. And I don't want you to come fearful and thinking you've no right to be there. I want you to come knowing that you're my daughter. And I'm saying, I want you to come boldly. Come to the throne and pour out your heart and let your requests be known unto me. Hebrews 4 verse 16. So he says, our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. I love that. Because we love him, because he's a good, good father, we can say, hallowed be your name. We love your name. We put your name up there. We adore you. And this morning, we just took some time in our prayer room just to say, Lord, we adore you. We worship you. We thank you that you're our father. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know, I love this because uh, I read in the, in the um, Spirit-filled uh, Bible notes, uh, I, I've written some of it into your notes actually, because the Spirit-filled Bible says that Jesus said that this was how we were to pray. But you know, saying this prayer, repeating this prayer, just saying it like a recitation, is not really what it's all about. It's not about saying a prayer. It's about realizing that when we pray to our Heavenly Father, that actually something happens that is moving outwards because he's answering the prayers that we pray. And it's, the, the Spirit-filled Bible says, it's not about repetition, but it's about expansion. And when we pray, 
We pray because God wants to expand your heart. He wants to enlarge your heart. And we're going to be looking at that over this weekend. And tonight we're going to be looking about extending our borders and how God wants to extend us. And he wants us to know we're going to look in Glenada, and I know I'm digressing a little bit, but if you, if you haven't booked and you've, you're, this is putting it into your head that God wants you there, then go and book with Jane at the end of this. Because the first session we're doing is about how we extend our borders by really knowing who we are in Christ about our true identity. Then we're going to look at, at what it means to have integrity and to be able to go through the testing period because there's always a testing. God always, and we're going to see that even from this prayer, there's always a refining. You know, you don't bring up your children by not correcting them. If you have a job, you want them to be good adults, you're going to correct them. You're going to, they're going to have to go through different tests, aren't they? They don't get through school without doing a few tests. And so about integrity, then the third session is going to be about our inheritance and how we, we need to press in for that inheritance. And the last session is going to be about intimacy, how we enjoy intimacy with God. This is all about extending our borders. And this is what prayer is all about. And we're called to pray in agreement with heaven for God's will to be done on earth. And again, I'm going to read to you, it's in your notes, I'm going to read to you what the Spirit-filled Bible notes say. Earthly scenes of need must be penetrated by God's will here as it is in heaven. See, God's kingdom, God's kingdom, thy kingdom come, is that, that as it is in heaven, it will be here on earth. That we would pray for heaven to come to earth. And so earthly scenes of need must be penetrated by God's will here as it is in heaven. Otherwise, listen to this, the weakness of man's rule, that's the flesh, or the viciousness of hell's work, that's the devil, will prevail. God's power alone can change things and bring heaven's rule to earth. And the honour and the glory is God's alone. However, the praying is ours to do, because unless we ask, listen, for the intervention of his kingdom and obey his prayer lessons, nothing will change. All kingdom ministry begins with is sustained by and will triumph through prayer. And so he's calling us to join in his children. He wants us to recognize he is our father and as his children we come together in unity and we're praying for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done on this planet earth and we're believing that across this world that all the believers, all of his children are praying the same prayer and as we pray that same prayer it's not just repeating something, but it's actually changing the atmosphere and extending the kingdom of God and bringing God's rule first and foremost to our own hearts. And when Christ rules in my heart and he rules in your heart, then we begin to see that overflowing and we begin to see other people infected. And before we know his kingdom is going to come as we all, the body of Christ, the family of God, as we all share and witness to the people around us, we're going to see his kingdom come. He is going to rule on this earth. And we're going to be part of it. He's going to set up his kingdom. It's going to be as it is in heaven. It's going to be on this earth. When that happens, the lion will lie down with the lamb. There'll be no more fighting. But you know what? It can happen right now. The kingdom is not, it's here, but it's not here. It's here, but yet it's not here fully yet. And he wants his kingdom primarily to be in you that he's the king 
and that that lion and lamb that's within you, that's always fighting and growling, that old nature and the new nature, that it will be, be, be a peace, that you will experience peace. I used to sing, whenever I was a young girl, uh, there used to be a song called There'll Be Peace in the Valley. Do you remember that one? There'll be peace in the valley one day. Do you know what? There can be peace in your valley right now. <laughs> you can experience that internal conflict that so many of us go through. Peace ruling in your heart. That's kingdom now. That's kingdom in you. And there's no point in us talking to the world about his kingdom come. If, we, if we're not at peace in ourselves, if we're not experiencing him as the king in our lives, and we haven't got that internal peace and alignment with heaven ourselves, how can we go and tell the world about it? It's our right as his daughters. It's our right as his children to experience that peace, to experience that joy of being in alignment with heaven and being able to pray in agreement with our brothers and sisters. Give us day by day our daily bread. See, dependency on God for our daily bread means dependency on him for absolutely everything. That's, just, that's basically what it means. But you know, when we think of the Israelites, do you remember as they travelled through the wilderness, they had to go out and actually lift the bread, that, the manna that God gave to them. They had to lift it. And you know, there's that sense where, yes, God, my God will supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Yes, he will give you your daily bread, but you know what? He wants you to, to actually feed yourself. He is not going to force feed you. He, he wants you to take responsibility to gather the manna, just the way the Israelites had to gather it and eat it. And you have to spend time with God to receive from him from, from his word, from the resources of heaven, rather than the resources of the world. And the trouble is that a lot of us are being fed by worldly things, if we acknowledge it. We are watching TV until it comes out of our ears. We are allowing it to make us, uh, conform us to think the way the world thinks. We are reading all kinds of stuff and have very little time for God's word. And we're not feeding on Christ. We're not feeding on, on what he says to us and who he is. And you see, if we don't feed on him, if we're turning to get our satisfaction and our, our, our food from the world rather than from him, we're going to end up spiritually weak. We'll be worldly strong, but we'll be spiritually weak. And we don't want that, do we? And so it's so important that we aren't going to be Christians who are starving. That's why, I know that's why many of you come here, and I love that. And I, I just love the fact that you've got, a, you've got a hunger for God's word. And that's as it should be. But God wants you to feed yourself as well. And when you, you leave here on a Tuesday, he wants you, in whatever way, whether you're reading through a book or whether you're using these notes and going through them again day by day until next week, I don't know what way you're doing it, but he wants you to actually take them on and feed yourself. That's what growing up is. You know, whenever a baby's born, uh, Peter's epistle says, you know, you've got to give the, the, the milk of the word. But, you know, as you grow up, as a child grows up, there comes a point where you don't always, you know, if an eight-year-old comes up to you or a nine-year-old and you're saying, come on, I'll give him your bottle, there's something wrong, like, isn't there? By that stage, you should be eating something solid. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches, that we actually should become so strong spiritually that we're looking for good, strong spiritual meat the meat of the word, something that's going to really sustain us because we're hungry, we're growing up, we're becoming strong, we're effective in the kingdom. And that's exactly what God wants for us to do. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive others. 
You know, I've written in your notes here that if we are unwilling to confess our sin to God on a daily basis and be washed clean, that includes, I'm writing it here, I'm just reading it to you as I've written it, that includes forgiving ourselves. Then we will be carrying a spiritual weight that is unnecessary and it will weaken and isolate us from God and ultimately from each other. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. If we're unwilling to forgive others, we will not only experience unhappiness, but we will be tormented and become bitter and live our lives in a spiritual prison. Many people don't realise that refusing to forgive other people puts you into a spiritual prison. And Matthew 18 teaches that if you don't forgive, that not only are you locked up in a spiritual prison where you'll get very, very bitter and isolated in the prison, but you're actually giving legal right for the enemy to send the demonic to come to torment you. Now that's, that's pretty scary. And so that's why it's so important because we are forgiven and God has forgiven us and continues to forgive us every day, then we have to, if we want to be free, if we want to know the joy of God in our lives, we've got to release and forgive. We've got to do that. But you know the hardest thing that I've found is for people to forgive themselves. I find so often people come and say to me, well, I know that God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Well, if you do that, then you're receiving God's forgiveness, but you're out of line with God because you're holding on to something that God has let go of. So you're not in alignment at all. You're out of sync. And if you want God's best for you, then you've got to forgive. And we were in Market Hill last night, and we, we spoke about that, and that's the truth. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. It will weaken. If we don't forgive ourselves, if we don't forgive others, it's going to weaken and isolate us. First John verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship, listen, one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. There's something about not forgiving ourselves and not forgiving others. There's something about walking in the light and, and confessing our sin and and. and Knowing that our sins are forgiven on a daily basis, there's something about that that keeps us strong and in unity with our fellow believers. Because, you know what, it's the same in an ordinary family, isn't it? If we're not forgiving each other, you know, if brothers and sisters are fighting and not forgiving each other, then there's going to be disharmony in the home, isn't there? And it's exactly the same thing. God says, I want my children to be in unity. And where, where there is unity, God says, I'm going to command a blessing there. And so God wants us to know that. And then it goes on to say, and I'm just going through these, um, these lines of uh, this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And lead us not into temptation. You see, the thing is, God doesn't tempt us. James 1 tells us that God doesn't tempt anybody. But he does allow us to go through trials and he does test us. And the Bible teaches us that. But God always puts you through a test that's going to enlarge you, that's going to stretch you, but going to be for your good. That's because he's a good father. He can't do anything else but for your good. And so he's looking out for you and he wants you to, uh, to, to grow and he wants you to be in agreement with him. And he wants you, you know, some people say, does this mean then that God might lead me into temptation? I don't believe that's what it means at all. I believe it means that, that this prayer is saying, God, lead me into situations that you know I'll be able to deal with and that 
Lead me into tests that I'll be able to conquer, that will make me grow. It's saying, I'm going to trust you to choose where you lead me. We're not going to, we all know we're not going to get through this world without temptation. Even Jesus was tempted yet without sin. But we're praying, Lord, I trust you. Just don't let the enemy pull me into anything. You know, make sure you're leading me in a place where I'll not be overcome by evil. And I love the fact that the word of God says that he will not, he will not lead us into any situation that for we will be overcome by temptation, but with it he will give us a way of escape. Remember we, we spoke about that in Hebrews. And so he wants to stretch you and grow you. And if you're going through a hard time at the minute, if you think, oh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get over this, you need to know that your father will not let you be tempted above what you're able. That's what the Bible teaches. And so we can pray, Lord, lead us not into, into temptation. In other words, Lord, lead me in a way that you know will be, and ultimately, even though it might be difficult, and I might have to jump a few tests, but lead me in the way that I'll come out of it well, that I'm going to come out of it enlarged and stronger for you. Lead me into what is good and right, even if it means we, I don't get my own way. I think that's what the prayer means. Even if it means that, 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 you're, that I'm asking you for something and you're not, even if it means me not getting that, so long as you, you lead me and, and make sure I'm not overcome. You know, we can, we can pray wrong prayers. We're going to look at that in a moment. Deliver us from the evil one. In this prayer, we're declaring our trust in God because do you know what? God knows how to deliver us from the secret snares of the devil. I think um, if you read um, Ephesians 6, you'll see that, that we, we really wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against spiritual wickedness in high places. And the devil is described there as being one who is... Let me just read it to you. Um, Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That means the schemings of the devil. It means if the enemy studies you and, and schemes against you. And this prayer is saying, Jesus says, pray and ask me to deliver me from the evil one. And by doing this, we're declaring our trust in God. So the, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples in this particular uh, chapter, chapter 11 of Luke, I believe that this prayer was given in response to the disciples asking him to teach them to pray. He, he gave the same prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and that was given, I believe, a different situation entirely where he was actually preaching on prayer. So there's a slight difference in the two prayers but basically the content is the same and the main point of what we want to say this morning is that you're invited to come to your father and to talk things over with him, to be real with him, to tell him what your needs are, to tell him what you would like but at the same time, Lord, if you know something I don't know, then don't let me go into temptation. If I'm asking for something wrong, then, Lord, I trust you enough to choose for me. And if this is going to lead me into temptation, then don't give it to me. That's a good prayer. That's what the essence of this prayer is. Trusting our Heavenly Father. Praying to him. Knowing that we are loved. Knowing that he will give us only good. And knowing that he is our Father. And then we're going to move on to the next part of this uh, chapter, where chapter 5, where it says, um, sorry, chapter 11, verse 5, and it says, Jesus said to them, which of you should have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let me three loaves, 
for a friend of mine has come to me on a journey and have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The first point of our talk today is that we are blessed women because we have a good Father who hears and answers our prayers. And the second point is that we are blessed women because we not only is he our Father, but he's our friend. He's our very good friend. And he wants us to come. And he tells this beautiful story about someone going to a friend at midnight. And really, Jesus was just um, telling this story to teach them a truth about who God was and how God wanted them to relate to him. You see, the first one, and I, Philip uh, on Sunday morning spoke about uh, this about this chapter, Luke chapter 11, and he spoke about how the first part, of the, the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, is actually the prayer that God taught us. The Lord's Prayer is actually John's Gospel, chapter 17, where he prayed to his Father. But this is the prayer that he taught us to pray. It's our prayer. And this really is the pattern for us to pray. And Philip explained that this next part about the friend coming at midnight is the persistence, that God wants us to be persistent in prayer. And I suppose I started to ask myself, well, why would God want me to be persistent? Why would he want me to keep asking? Isn't once enough? Why would we, why would we have to keep praying for something? And, and the conclusion I came to was, could it be that God wants us to develop faith muscles? Could it be that he wants us to ask? And could it be that he wants us to ask for the right thing? Because sometimes we, James, James's epistle says we ask a miss. In other words, we ask for the wrong things. And, and could it be that he wants us to keep asking so that we're sure that we're really asking for what's in line with what he's saying? Because if we're asking God for something that's out of his will and purposes for our lives, then we're not going to receive it because we've got to ask in agreement with him. That's the secret of prayer. It's not about me trying to get my own way. It's about me praying for him to get his way through me. And I think we've got prayer mixed up. We think prayer is like you're sending your wee list to Santa Claus, what you might want for Christmas. That is not what it's about. Prayer is about that we actually would come into line with heaven's purpose for our lives, that even through, through, though we're going through dark and difficult times, that God is going to use all of this so that we will be in line with heaven and we will be able to fulfill the destiny and the purpose that God created us for. That's what God wants us to pray. Those are the prayers he wants us to be persistent in. And sometimes we've got to be persistent because I'll tell you what, there's an enemy out there who's trying his level best to pull us into places that will get us out of line with God. And we've got to remain in that posture of being in agreement with God. Matthew, Matthew 18 is all about if two of you shall agree concerning a matter, if we're in agreement with each other and in agreement with God, 
we can be sure it will happen because we'll be praying God's will and purposes to come to pass. And if you're praying for God's will and purposes to come to pass, it will come to pass. But the trouble is, we might want something this, this week, but maybe next week we're like, maybe I have something else. Maybe, 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 do you know, I think I'd rather have it the other way around. Isn't that right? Because we're so fickle and so changeable. And half time we don't, don't even know what's good for us anyway. So he's saying, keep asking and keep asking that you'll be in agreement with me. Keep growing and learning. You know, when children grow up, they ask for all kinds of things. I mean, whenever your 10-year-old is looking for, uh, you know, a Mercedes-Benz for Christmas presents, you don't actually hand him the keys, like, because you know he's not ready. Isn't that right? So he might, he might ask and ask, but as he grows up, and as he, as he begins to learn more about life and about himself and his own needs and all that, and as he begins to develop and mature, he realises that he wouldn't even dream of asking for Mercedes-Benz until he gets his licence. Isn't that right? And it's the same with us. God said, keep asking me because you're growing up and you're learning how to ask. And keep growing and keep, keep asking me to keep you in line with, with me so that you learn how to pray right and you'll see your prayers coming to pass. I think that's a huge, huge key for us to keep praying, to develop those faith muscles, to grow up spiritually, to learn to ask for what is right in agreement with God. And could it be, I've written this in your notes, could it be that we are to understand our need for the Holy Spirit's help in everything and to see that our Father in heaven is also our friend? There's something beautiful about a father-daughter relationship, about a father-son relationship, where not only is there the, the, the father and child, but there's a father has become the friend. I'll never forget whenever, um, whenever uh, Philip Emerson's son, Philly, was getting married, and uh, Philip was to marry him. I'm, I think I'm right on this, isn't that right, Louis? And, uh, and, 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 Philip, and young Philly wanted his daddy not just to marry him, but he wanted him to be his best man. <laughs> and and Phil, Philip says, but sure, you know, I'm going to marry you and I'm your father. I know, but you're my best friend too. Yeah. That's what God is. He, that was reflecting what God is to us. He's your father, but he's your best friend. And he said, come to me. Come boldly. Keep coming. Keep knocking. Keep persisting. Because if you're asking wrong, don't you worry. I'm your father and I love you and I'm your friend. And I'll keep I'll keep." molding you and shaping you and get you in until you are asking right and then together we'll work it out that's what maturing is that's what that's what growing in the lord is and god wants us to experience that and to grow up and to learn to persist to learn to persist in prayer and not to give up and you know what there's such a thing as god's timing and very often we stop praying because we think god's saying no when all the time god's saying Yes, but not just yet. Because if a few other things in the kingdom that have got to get into shape here, there's a few other things there up the country or overseas or I've got to see this happening. There's a few things need to come into place before that can happen. Don't give up. Be persistent. Because it might be that it's all about God's timing. And, and if you give up, what a sad thing that would be that you'd miss out on the joy of agreement and fellowship with him as you get the excitement of seeing it happening before your eyes and you think, I was part of that. That's what God wants you to be. He wants you to be part of the family. He wants you to be involved in the family business. And the family business is that his kingdom's coming to this earth and you and I are to be part of it. 
but that means growing up, learning, maturing. It means taking a few hits. It means it means going through a few tests. Because you know you don't get your you don't get your I was going to say your A levels. I still have A levels. <laughs> Whatever it is now, let me. You don't get those without going through a few tests. In the natural, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. And so he's our good friend. But you know, as well as him being our father and as being our good friend, we need to know that we also have an enemy. We need to know that this enemy is against us and he is one who accuses and divides. In fact, he's actually called the accuser in Revelation 12 and 10. So we're going to look, just work on down this chapter, chapter Luke 11, verse 14. Let's just look at what happened here with Jesus. And as Jesus was casting out a demon and it was mute, so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitude marveled. But some of them said, Jesus casts out demons by Bezalzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armour in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. This enemy, a few things about this enemy before we wind up today. We have an enemy who accuses and divides. Did you notice that, that these people, the crowds, the Pharisees, the people around Jesus were actually accusing him of, um, of, of, a, of, of casting out the, the enemy, casting out demons by the power of demons. Beelzebub means prince of demons or lord of the high place. So these people were, they were watching Jesus as he cast out evil spirits and cast out demons. And they were actually accusing him that he was doing it by the power of the devil. He was casting out demons by the power of demons. Like, that's ridiculous. And Jesus is pointing out that no kingdom can, can stand if it's divided. And, and he was pointing out that, that, uh, that he was casting out demons not with, with demons or by the power of the devil, but he was casting out demons with the finger of God. Not the arm of God, just the finger. That's all God needs. Sometimes we think that the enemy is so great. and You know, we, we give him far too much coverage sometimes. We think, oh, the enemy, you know, will be shaken and scared. No, just the finger of God. That's enough for him. And Jesus is saying, if I, but, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Do you know that the kingdom was there because the king was there? And they didn't recognize him. They didn't see him. We have an enemy who accuses and divides. And then Jesus tells a story. Jesus doesn't tell stories for no reason. He's telling the story about a strong man who is, uh, who's fully armed and guarding his palace. But when a stronger than he comes and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armour with which he trusted and divides the spoil. Now here's the picture. The picture is where Satan 
can have a stronghold in your life. Where before you came to know Jesus, Satan had you in the grip of death. That's why Jesus came, because we were all we were all chained up to the enemy because of the darkness, because of the fall, because of what we were all born in sin, we were all born in darkness, and the enemy was the strong man. But you know what? Do you know who the stronger man was? Jesus Christ. And he came and he disarmed. The stronger man disarmed the strong man, took away all of his all of his um, weapons. He totally, the Bible says that, that Jesus disarmed him when he died on the cross. Totally disarmed him. And, and now we are free to receive Jesus. But you know, the enemy not only accuses and divides, but the enemy persists. Because Jesus went on to teach how when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. What is Jesus teaching here? He's teaching here that if he was going to... For example, imagine that Jesus meets a man who is really troubled by evil spirits, a man who has never known salvation, a man who is in his sins. Imagine if, Satan, if Jesus was to uh, speak and cast out those demons and tell them to go, but the man refused to receive Jesus' forgiveness and receive life from the Holy Spirit. So actually this man, he's, he's been cleansed from these these demons have gone out but there's still an emptiness in him he hasn't been filled by the holy spirit jesus is teaching if you what he's really teaching is if you if you ask god to help you and this is why it's very dangerous for us to pray with people who who refuse to accept jesus as savior and lord if somebody comes and says i have a real problem with fear for, for example a real problem with the spirit of fear we could pray and we could come against that and we could pray for that spirit of fear to be cast out but we'd be very unwise to do that if the person isn't willing to receive jesus as savior and lord do you know why because we'd just be emptying the house and after a wee while that same spirit of faith would go and gather a few more and come back with a spirit of trauma because unless there's a, a new birth unless there's real regeneration the house will be empty when you receive Jesus as your Saviour and Lord, the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in your body, in your temple. And he's the one who keeps the enemy from coming back in again. And so when we pray for people, we'd be very unwise to pray for anyone unless they're willing to receive Jesus as Saviour and Lord and receive his Holy Spirit and fill the house. That's why God wants us to be Spirit-filled. That's why when he spoke to Nicodemus, he said, he, he that is born of the flesh is flesh, but he that is born of the Spirit is Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to keep us and empower us and give us victory over these things. Hope that's clear enough to you. But we have an enemy who will persist. And unless we are truly saved and have the Holy Spirit, and, and you know, if we grieve the Holy Spirit, we are just giving the enemy an opportunity to come in as well. We don't want to be grieved. We want to be in alignment with God. We want to see God's kingdom come. Better hurry up here. And so God is, Jesus is teaching here, and we're going to fly through this next few bits so that we can finish in a few moments. 
So we have a, a God who is our father. We have a God who, who um, is our friend. We have an enemy who is, um, who is accuses and divides. We have an enemy who persists and will try to find a way back in again. That's what I'm trying to say. He, you know, when, when you overcome stuff and get prayer ministry and you've received the Holy Spirit and you're, you know, you're, you've got the Lord in your life, that doesn't mean the enemy won't try to circle around and try and get back in again. But you don't have to receive it because you have the Holy Spirit. Your house is full. You don't have to receive that. You can, you can put that away. And so as we just wind up today, sorry girls, I've been a wee bit later. We're later starting as well. We need to know also we have an enemy who hates the light. And I'm not going to take time to read it all, but if you read those verses, you'll see that uh, there's a real challenge uh, that we will walk in the light. No one, when he has lit a lamp, verse 33 says, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. We are, lamp- we are light carriers. That's who you are. You don't want to be carrying darkness. That's why you confess your sins, you walk in the light every day. That's why this ongoing journey of yours is about this continual confession, continual walking in the light. Anything that comes across your path that's gonna hurt you or put you down, you just bring it into the light. That's the biggest key that I can give you. Bring it into the light. Don't keep stuff in the dark. That gives Satan legal rule in your life. Keep in the light. And this is what Jesus is saying. We haven't time, you can read your notes on that one. Um, and then basically just to say that these, uh, these Pharisees, sadly they were hypocrites, sadly they were putting burdens on people, they were not living, they were, they were not real before God. They, they should have known the truth from, from all their learning of the scriptures. They should have known that Jesus was the Messiah. They had the key in their hand to, to help others to unlock the door for others to come in to know Jesus. But they didn't use it. And so Jesus actually spoke to those leaders and said to them, woe unto you. I just want to compare, before we wind up right now, compare the people who are blessed, the people who know their God, the people who have received forgiveness, who have received Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit in, who can talk to God as their Father, who know that God is their friend, who can align themselves with his purposes and know they have a purpose in life, that they can walk in the light, that they can enjoy life, walking in the light, having fellowship with each other as the children of God, fulfilling God's great purpose in the family of God. Compare that to these other people who refused to walk in the light, who, who chose rather to walk in darkness, who chose to be real before God, but would rather be hypocrites. These people who didn't really know the truth and didn't walk in the truth. What was there for them? Was there a blessing for them? No, there was just a woe. In fact, there's a number of woes that Jesus spoke. We are not those that God speaks a woe over you. Don't you dare say woe is me. No, it's not. You are a blessed. You can say, wow, (laughs) instead of woe is me. Do not receive any woes in your life. Only receive the blessings that are yours by right. Why are you blessed? Because Jesus paid the price for you to be blessed. Just start to walk in it and enjoy it. Bring all the stuff to him. 
talk it over. Ask him to bring your thinking in line with his. I'll tell you, if you, if you pray a prayer like that, you start to suddenly find that your thinking is having jumps and you're suddenly seeing things from different angles. Open up your mind to think like Christ, to have what the Bible describes as the mind of Christ. Let's go for it, girls. Let's really give them our all. Over these next weeks, try and come along and journey with us as we go through the rest of the book of Ruth. Bring your friends. Let's see God do something powerful and beautiful. Let's walk in the blessing. I'm going to challenge you to speak out right now as we finish. And I want you to say with me, I am a blessed woman. Let's say it again. I am a blessed woman. There is power in the declaration. There is power in confession. There is power in what you speak. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Speak it out as you go out of here. I don't care if you're going, I do care if you're going through a dark time, I really do. But I know that dark times, going through tunnels, leads to greater light. Because he walks with you through the tunnels. And there's many of us can testify to that. In fact, I would say that unless you've gone through a few dark tunnels, you're not really equipped. Because those are testing times, those are trials. Those are to bring you out the other end greater and stronger and more blessed than ever before. So we say amen to all of that in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that your word will just now just penetrate. We pray, Lord, that, that your word will penetrate into dark areas in our thought life, into dark areas in our emotions. We pray, O oh God, that your word would right now. Thank you. Someone said in the prayer room earlier, the entrance of your word gives light. Lord, we pray right now, as your word has gone out, that it will find entrance and give light and illumination and understanding and a greater awareness of how blessed we are. And even in those dark times, that you're still blessing us, the treasures of darkness, where you bless and you turn around things that were meant for evil, for good. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Love you to stand with us, and we're going to sing our uh, song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Let's just stand now, and let's go for this. Blessed just had a real sense from God there that there's somebody in this place today and your trouble and your unsettledness, unsettledness is because of the way you're thinking and God wants you to bring your thoughts into the open and he wants to show you what truth is and he wants you to start to think in alignment with him. Really sense that, that there's somebody in particular whose thinking is completely up the left. I know all of us need to be aligned, all of us go off of it, but I really sense that God's saying, I want to align somebody in particular here today. And if that's you, come up to the front. There's going to be a few of us here, uh, Jerry and Joy and myself and Laurie and uh, Susan. And we'll be up here at the front for you. Be blessed. Sorry we're a bit late.